We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Entering the Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings. Week 11 waiver wire pickup rankings, NFL injury report, and a look ahead to the fantasy playoff schedule. Weeks 14 to 16, so maybe you want to make some pickups at defense or quarterback if you're playing the streaming game, or maybe some trade targets that you can go look at in the future. You can always use the time codes to figure that out, but I will let you know to smash the like button to the video and subscribe to Mayo Media Network in the comment section. If you have an ad drop question, a trade question, leave that in there. I will get around to them in the next 24 hours uh, if you want to partake in that sort of thing. But do you like PlayStation and specifically PlayStation 5? If you go to my Twitter handle right now at the PME, you will find a giveaway for a PlayStation 5. Five. Yes, I highly recommend you go do this. Uh, you will find the contest details up there. It's all linked back to FTN Fantasy, FTNDaily.com, both of those. Right now, if you go to FTNFantasy.com, it's 20 bucks for the rest of the year. You get all the rankings, everything like that, plus all of the tools associated, like the splits tools, with FTNFantasy.com, FTNDaily.com. Uh, it's also highly discounted right now because we are into week 11. Plus, if you use code MAYO, you get an extra discount off both of them. Highly suggest you go check those out. But I really think you should go to at the PME on Twitter, see that giveaway for the PlayStation 5 and see how it links back. And trust me, you might be pleasantly surprised to get into that draw. Hard to find right now, PlayStation 5 is what I hear at least. Uh, Pat Mayo Experience Listener's League link is in the description of the video and podcast. Fills very quickly uh, the no-rate contest, best content best contest on drafting so i highly recommend you get into that as well masters recap is already out with jeff feinberg if you want to check it plus all of the first look at the rsm classic later on on monday on mayo media network so if you want to get into all of this obviously follow me on twitter at the pme and subscribe to mayo media network on youtube if you're watching this might as well subscribe right help us out 
My updated waiver wire rankings will continue to be updated through Tuesday evening. Those are up on dkplaybook.com and in the description of this video and podcast. You just click the link and boom, you'll see the next time it updates. I have that all written out for you. So if anything changes injury-wise after this recording, it will be reflected in there because, shockingly enough, I cannot go back and edit the video once it is posted. I will have my rankings on Tuesday with Jake, spread picks on Wednesday with Jeff and Tim. Uh, we got Chargers versus Jets this week, although Sam Darnold is out. And that's just no fun. I was really looking forward to Herbert versus Darnold and just trolling the shit out of both of them, but we're not going to have that luxury this time around. But let's jump into it. Waiver wire pickup power rankings. Actually, we should probably do injury report. First, for the running backs, jot down the old time here. Chris Thompson has a back injury. Uh, not that you were playing Chris Thompson anyway. Uh, my guy, Dare. Ended up coming in to play the Chris Thompson role against the Packers, but it was still just all James Robinson. We'll get to the snap shares in a second. Michael Hasty broke his collarbone, so he's going to be out for an extended period of time. Christian McCaffrey may return this week for Carolina. Joe Mixon could return also. They both missed Week 10 with their rib-slash-shoulder injury for McCaffrey and the foot injury that continues to linger for Joe Mixon, Chris Carson, and Carlos Hyde. It's a quick turnaround this week for them on Thursday evening, so they could miss another week, and we saw Alex Collins end up leading that backfield this week. It's a situation to probably stay away from, unless you got a really good beat on what's going on this week. So it was DJ Dallas, then it was Travis Homer, then it was Alex Collins. Maybe it switches back to DJ Dallas again. I don't know. No one knows at this point. It seems like they don't know going into the game, so it's not a reliable situation to really put any money down on david montgomery will not play on monday evening maybe he'll pass a concussion protocol and be ready for week 11 uh matt breda also did not play uh we're, we're gonna see whether his hamstring can you know get him back into the roster for week 11 but that's a wait and see situation justin jackson david johnson tevin coleman miles gaskin devonta freeman austin eckler and raheem mostart all missed week 10. Uh, Eckler looks like he's, I at least saw a video of him running. That's good news with his hamstring injury. So maybe he's close to coming back if you're still in the mix or there's a trade deadline coming up. And you know those players, the Austin Eckler owner in your league is like on the fringe, not sure when he's going to be back. Maybe you can pry away Austin Eckler for little to, I mean, not little to nothing, probably like 70% of what he's worth. With Justin Herbert at quarterback, I really do think that Austin Eckler could be a supreme pick up right now if he comes back we still don't have the timeline so maybe it's not to like week 13 week 14 but if he does end up coming back maybe the chargers end up out of it to the point where you know they don't want to rush him back they want to save him for next year maybe they're still tanking right now like oh we have our quarterback plus we can get a top end draft pick too let's not really push the envelope here i don't know what the situation is going to be but he would be a trade target for me especially in ppr formats just with the way that they run this offense right now like they clearly hate josh kelly and frankly kaylin Bilal not very good Justin Jackson now on injured reserve that there is opportunity there Troy Main Pope returned in week 10 but didn't play anything besides special team snaps so it's just a really confusing situation you'd think with Eckler back he goes back into a 65 plus percent role in the backfield in terms of snap share and then all of a sudden you're looking pretty good probably inherited a top 10 running back and you know the owner of Eckler in your league just might be so frustrated at this point that you don't really know what's going on oh David Montgomery will not play in week uh, 11 by the way because the Bears are on bye week what am I thinking here uh, Buffalo San Francisco the Giants and the Bears all on bye week waiver wire pickups for week 11 I have Wayne Gallman despite the Giants being on bye as the number one pickup uh, it's very clear that he's going to be the guy in the Giants backfield now with Freeman on injured reserve obviously no Saquon Barkley Alfred Morris was signed but he's not really doing much Deion Lewis and Pat 
passing situations only. We kind of saw the template for Wayne Gallman. There's no one you have to go rush out to go pick up, but he's a nice bench depth, or if you have an injury, you could probably plug him in. He'll likely not be anything better than like running back 23 in any of the week-long rankings the rest of the year, but J.D. McKissick, I had ranked at number 17 this week, so you could probably use Wayne Gallman when it comes down to it. McKissick was the number one pickup last week. He's over the threshold of 60% now. Like This is where we're at with running back this year, that someone who gets touches, especially goal line touches, and over 50% of the work like Gallman, he should be owned. Uh, so Gallman, number one, Damian Harris, Naheem Hines, Kalen Balaj, Cam Akers, Zach Moss, Salvin Ahmed, Matt Breda, Ryan Nall, and LaMichael Pirine round out the top 10. Really with Hines, what are you really going to do? You either play him or you don't play him. I know that seems kind of rudimentary when you break it down, but he has these this big game potential that we've seen. He played over 50% of the snaps for the Colts last week, but if it just reverses itself and he's the third man on the totem pole next week, like that's not going to be super stunning. But again, this is the situation where we've been left at at running back. Like when you look at the Colts backfield or the Ravens backfield, um, I mean, now that the San Francisco backfield has kind of figured itself out a little bit, going into the bye week, we'll see how it comes out. Coleman and Mostert will likely be back coming out of that bye week, thus creating confusion. Again, there are so many splits that you just can't trust any of these guys in fear of having like a two-point two day in your lap. Like even Damian Harris, I would have him at number one. He looks the best of all of these guys, but at the same time, you, Rex Burkhead scores two touchdowns and they're not getting Harris the goal line work. Sony Michelle is going to be coming back. So now they're going to have four guys in the backfield. Like that's not a situation you want to be involved with unless it is absolutely necessary. The Seattle backfield until Carson or Hyde ends up coming back. Like, what are you, you're just going to you know close your eyes, pick one out of a hat and play that guy. At least with someone like Gallman, the situation does seem very clear for him, at least in a route to get touches. And if we're just trying to mine touches and goal line work and a bit of receiving prowess, it's probably the guy that you want to go to right now. Um, the one guy down on this list, number 15, Donta Foreman, only really factors in because when we look at the strength of the schedule for the rest of the year, the fantasy playoffs at running back, Tennessee has the best schedule. At Jacksonville, home against Detroit, at Green Bay, those are three of the bottom 10 run defenses in the league right now. Now, I don't expect you to play Donta Foreman, but Jeremy McNichols is, has been kind of going in and out in terms of snap share. Uh, spelling Derrick Henry, but it does seem like they're committed to get done, getting Donta Foreman enough touches per game that if Derrick Henry went out, I would actually expect him to try to not, he's not going to take over the Derrick Henry role by any means, but I do think that he would be the primary back in that offense. So if you're looking for a bench stash, bench stash, obviously Latavius Murray is still the best that you can do in this situation in terms of handcuffs. Him and Madison are both very good. Uh, Mike Davis was that guy, but he's above the threshold. Now he's like 90% owned. You can't go pick him up. Up anymore so hopefully you jumped on him once everyone dropped him once McCaffrey came back but if you're looking for handcuffs to statue away you might as well you know preemptively strike on the waiver wire no one wants Dante Foreman you put in a zero dollar bid you're going to get him if you have the bench space to do it I do think that maybe even if you want to take McNichols too and see how the situation ends up breaking down if anything happens to Derrick Henry that's who I would expect Foreman to be the guy to take over that role especially the goal line work in Tennessee and with those three gravy matchups I do think it is worth the bench stash it's probably better than having a wide receiver six on your team who you're probably not going to use at this point you know if Foreman and it becomes clear cut that that he is the guy he's probably a top 15 running back for those weeks if Derrick Henry misses now obviously that would 
take Derrick Henry getting hurt. We don't wish injury upon anyone on this show or in general. Like, come on now. No one wants to see anyone get hurt and hurt their livelihood. But if he does go down, at least you want to be in an opportunity right now to strike on it. And you don't want to wait till week 13 or week 14 when that happens, when you have to pay all of your fab budget for him when you can just get them for nothing right now. And there's a lot of extra bench spots in fantasy leagues right now where you know, this is what it was kind of built for. It's built for COVID, but if you have none of the COVID guys or injury reserve guys, just use the bench spot on Dante Foreman and hope that it ends up working out in your favor. So Tennessee likely has the best schedule of anyone running back-wise. After that, Chicago gets Houston at Minnesota at Jacksonville. Like David Montgomery is not good, but if he does return from this concussion and inherits his old role, like again, he's a top 15 guy each of those weeks that maybe has a trade target with him both being injured for week 10 on bye week and week 11 that you can kind of scrape him away. Like No one likes Derrick Henry to begin with because the talent level is so, so low, but in terms of trade market, if you want bench depth or if you are in desperate need of a running back too, that's a guy that's not going to cost you very much to go out and get right now, especially because of the injury. Now, you have to hope that he comes back from the concussion. There's no problems with him that it doesn't linger on into the future. But if it does, he had a very clear-cut role in this backfield. So maybe Ryan Nahler, maybe Lamar Miller, even Cordero Patterson established themselves on Monday night, and that ends up cutting into his workload. But frankly, you think that would have happened by now with David Montgomery looking so terrible for the past five weeks, but he just churns out fantasy points. Not a ton, but enough where we talked about all of these split backfields that it's a situation that you probably want to be in. Green Bay at Detroit, Carolina, Tennessee, both those two games are at home week 15 and week 16. Decent matchups. Obviously, you're not going to pick up Aaron Jones, but Jamal Williams still might be floating around or potentially even dropped. Um, so that's, you know, if something happens to Aaron Jones, obviously you would want Jamal Williams. Miami. Here's the interesting one. Kansas City, New England at Las Vegas. Not three great matchups, but they're like middling matchups, positive matchups, slightly positive matchups on the ground all three of those weeks. That's why I have, well, for this week only, I don't know whether or not Matt Breda is coming back, but I would try to kind of, I mean, Gaskin is likely the guy that you want to go, go, go get. He's still on injured reserve right now. Uh, so maybe almost in a David Montgomery situation, if you can pry away Miles Gaskin because, he, because he's injured for 50 cents on the dollar, maybe a situation to go into. I'm not sure how this backfield breaks down. But again, you're not going to have to spend a ton of capital to go find out. It's just going to cost you a bench spot or two. And maybe you can luck in to who the guy is going to be. And frankly, if one of these guys can establish themselves, like Salvin Ahmed, it looked really good. <laughs> on the weekend maybe this will be his job going forward maybe it'll be Breda's job going forward Breda's not going to cost you anything at the moment if he's still available on the waiver wire because he's been injured for the past two weeks we haven't seen him in the lead role uh, and when Gaskin comes back, maybe that renders him inert. I'm not sure. So Gaskin would be the preferable target for me, but obviously he's owned in too much. But maybe this injury goes on and on and on and on. He doesn't end up returning, and you can get one of these guys for super cheap. If we look at these snap shares for the week, uh, Duke Johnson ended up playing the most snaps uh, percentage-wise. 95% of the snaps for Houston didn't make a difference. He was terrible. We've seen this with Duke Johnson. Uh, every time that he's become the lead back in an offense, he's just been horrible. It's almost like the old Lamar Miller effect that he was just better in minimal dosage he was more efficient that way that efficiency doesn't carry over for him when he is the lead back he's still a viable option as like a top 20 guy with David Mon or David Johnson on injured reserve but it's not like you gotta play Duke Johnson you gotta get him in there you might have better options than Duke Johnson worth owning of course 
Um, let's see. Steelers, James Conner had a terrible day, but he did play 88% of the snaps, which is encouraging. I'm not worried about him. Uh, with the Jags, uh, Salvin uh, Ahmed played 77% of the snaps. Malcolm Perry actually played 40% of the snaps for the Dolphins in a lot of two-back sets with Tua on the field. So maybe that's a situation where maybe Ahmed goes back to the bench once Breda is healthy and Gaskin is back, but you might see some more Gaskin and Breda backfields, two running back sets, just because Preston Williams is on injured reserve uh, and you just get more receiving options. We do know that they like to use Matt Breda in the receiving game sometimes. That's what his best role is uh, as a player. So maybe that's a way that they can get him more involved than you don't see as much Ahmed or Perry or Patrick Laird uh, once everyone is back healthy. Kalen Balaj played 73% of the snaps, but the really concerning ones here. I talked a little bit about Josh Jacobs last week, and he kind of slapped me in the face. Uh, all of a sudden, Josh Jacobs looking great again. But the snap share continues to remain concerning just based on how much Devonta Booker is playing. Devonta Booker obviously scored another touchdown last week. Fortunately, Jacobs scored two, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But once again, Josh Jacobs, 60% of the snaps. Devonta Booker, 35% of the snaps. It's just, it's eating a lot into it that if he doesn't have these two touchdown games, he w- did, was involved in the receiving game, which is really nice. And the whole argument wasn't that Josh Jacobs is bad. It's just that Josh Jacobs isn't a top five running back. He's more like a low end number one because in the games where it doesn't go, he gets two touchdowns that you know, you're just really relying on yardage a lot. Maybe this receiving game boost can continue, but we thought that after week one, two in Carolina, and then it did not materialize for like the next seven weeks. So he's like... He's a high ceiling guy because of the touchdowns and his floor is high because he does accumulate a lot of touches, but the overall like him hitting his optimal range of outcomes is a lot lower than some of the other guys at the very top end. That's That was my whole point on Josh Jacobs, and we see it again reflected in the snap share where Devontae Booker continues to play over one-third of the snaps every single week. If we could get Josh Jacobs into the 80% territory and really mitigate the damage that Devontae Booker can do by stealing touchdowns, which, you know, if Jay, let's say Jacobs doesn't score the two touchdowns and Booker's scores the one you're like fuck what's going on with josh jacobs this sucks um obviously he is a running back one but you know he's in that sort of nick chubb territory except the difference is, is that cleveland is very much committed to the run and they're going to get nick chubb ample opportunity every single game but his lack of receiving upside really does come back to hurt him on the overall scope of things when we're trying to project out who the very best of the running backs are going to be other interesting notes, uh, after Fournette played more than Ronald Jones, Ronald Jones had the big run, but did play more and started the game, played 57% of the snaps. Leonard Fournette played 38% of the snaps in the Tampa backfield. Nick Chubb uh, actually fell behind Kareem Hunt. Hunt actually played 57% of the snaps, Chubb only 45%. I still like Chubb more going forward. He's going to get most of the goal line work, and he has that big... We saw it at the end of the game. I know he stepped out at the one-yard line, but his ability to break off big runs is basically unmatched except for Saquon Barkley at this point of running backs in football. It seems like he just has one big one every game. Just they pound him. Derrick Henry, too, obviously. Um, Just pound, 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 and then boom, the hammer gets laid down and just takes one missed tackle, and he's gone. Uh, So that's always the upside that comes along with him. That's something he possesses over Josh Jacobs, too. We just don't see that from Josh Jacobs, like the 80-yard run, where it seems like the Henrys, the Barkleys, and the Nick Chubbs kind of break those ones out, and that does increase their upside week after week after week. Patriots backfield, we had Damian Harris 55, Rex Burkhead 36, James White 18. Again, with Sony Michelle returning and just 
Cam isn't running as much, but he can always get himself back going on the ground and steal touchdowns away, which is really the valuable point of this, that it just makes a lot of them unplayable. Melvin Gordon played 56 to Philip Lindsay's 30%, so and Royce Freeman played 15%. None of those guys are overly startable, especially with Drew Locke now potentially missing this week. I had mentioned Alex Collins, played 48% of the snaps, DJ Dallas, 32%, Travis Homer, 11%. Until the main guys come back, not a situation you want to be involved with. The Ravens was stupid, because Justice Hill started getting run in that game after Ingram came back. So it was Dobbins, 41%, Ingram, 27%, Gus Edwards, 23%, and then some Justice Hill, plus Lamar Jackson taking carries away on the ground. Not a situation, again, just not a situation you can rely on going forward. Uh, And same as the Rams backfield. Malcolm Brown, 41%. Daryl Henderson, 33%. Cam Akers, 26%. Like, that's not great <laughs> at all, especially when their roles seem to be get seem to get divvied up. Like, Akers looked the best on the ground, but then Henderson's going to steal a touchdown. Malcolm Brown's going to steal a touchdown. Malcolm Brown's going to get involved in the receiving game, like, week after week. It's great for a real-life team. I, I understand why they do it for fantasy purposes. It's just absolute dog shit. It's terrible. Um, and Zach Moss played more than Singletary, but it was 53 to 47%. Again, Bill's running backs are kind of useless unless they score touchdowns. And if they're not scoring touchdowns, they are just a drag on your fantasy team. Let's switch over to wide receivers for the week. And we look at the injury report. We have Damian, Danny Amendola, who I enjoyed for DFS purposes this week, but he hurt his hip and had to leave the game. He's questionable for the upcoming week. John Brown hurt his ankle against the Cardinals. The Bills are on bye week 11, so he should be fine coming out of that. Traquan is not going to get the Jameis experience because he had a concussion, probably not going to play in week 11. Chenault missed the game with a hamstring injury. Uh, he might miss another game. We'll see. It, it appeared like he was close. He practiced in a limited fashion during the week, but was still sat against the Green Bay Packers. And with Luton in the lineup, I mean, TJ Chark's going to get his. And Chris Conley really has been a benefactor of Chenault being out and Luton taking over. He's just seeing a lot of targets week after week. I would expect if Chenault came back, he pushes Conley back over to the sideline. So Chenault could be a good start here and a lot of positive game scripts for that passing game in Jacksonville. Expect Calvin Ridley to be back for week 11. Not sure yet about Kenny Galladay, who's missed the last two games. Sammy Watkins should return this week for the Chiefs coming off a bye and missing the previous three games. Adam Humphrey, still no word on him with his concussion and head injury. Preston Williams on injured reserve. Julian Edelman on injured reserve. Debo Samuel did not play against the Saints. Uh, They go on to bye week. He should be fine coming out of it. He is available to go pick up. I would go pick up even with Mullins or Beathard at quarterback. Debo, I do think, is better than Ayuk. Uh, Ayuk is just putting up some decent totals right now because of volume because there is literally no one else to throw the ball to. Uh, I think just Debo is a higher talented player. They're both good and they're both probably playable. I just still prefer Debo. And Alan Lazard, uh, who we will see, is my number one waiver wire pickup this week should return for the Packers moving forward. Maybe he uh, he traveled with the team to San Francisco. I thought he would play in week 10 against Jacksonville. Obviously, that was not the case. But he should be back eventually. We saw Scantling put up a giant game against the Jags, and that's usually Lazard's role. Not the big play type of guy, but he tends to get more involved on a week-to-week consistency basis. At least that's what we saw earlier in the year from Alan Lazard. So he's the number one waiver wire pickup. Michael Pittman, number two. Debo Samuel, number three. Corey Davis. Cole's hole. Cole Beasley. Not the bees! That's what the Cardinals were saying on third down during the final quarter. Just Cole Beasley making amazing catches. Three 100-yard games so far this season. If John Brown continues to be banged up or... I mean, when was the last time John Brown finished a game? He keeps 
you know, limited practice, limited practice. Oh, he's going to start. John Brown looks pretty good. Oh, he's hurting on the sidelines. Now it's Cole Beasley time. They're going to continue to rely on the pass like they've done over the past few weeks. I know they're going on to bye week, but for the stretch run, Cole Beasley should be pretty good. Josh Reynolds, you know, he's, he's getting, he's, seeing more targets than Robert Woods right now. Uh, and going back to 11 personnel for the Rams has really made Josh Reynolds the biggest benefactor of all of this. He is back involved in the receiving game. He is the one who's seeing air yards from Jared Goff down the field. So Josh Reynolds at number six, Tim Patrick, Sammy Watkins, Jalen Rager, and Jacoby Myers, number 10. Um, I'm not sure if Edelman's coming back or not. Myers has been really good. I mean, he threw a touchdown pass. That's always nice to see. Just they're involving him in different ways, and he only trails Devontae Adams in terms of target share per per routes run uh, over the past two weeks since, you know, basically since Nikhil Harry went down and Harry was back, didn't do anything. So Jacoby Myers, pretty good. Not going to lie to you. Jakeem Grant, number 11, KJ Hamler, number 12, Darnell Mooney, number 13. We'll see what the status for Allen Robinson is Monday night. I would expect him to play, but if he doesn't, Darnell Mooney, um, it might just be a decent pickup anyway, because if we look at the wide receiver strength of schedule for the rest of the season, we have Cincinnati actually probably has the best one. We saw T. He Higgins put up some decent numbers against Pittsburgh. Uh, that's a bet. That's not a great week 15 matchup, but surrounding that they're against Dallas at home in week 14 at Houston in week 16. So both pretty nice. The chargers have Atlanta, Vegas, and Denver weeks 14 to 16. Tampa Bay is Minnesota, Atlanta, and Detroit, uh, Chicago, Houston, Minnesota, and Jacksonville. Three pretty good matchups for receivers for Nick Foles. Maybe Trubisky will be back healthy at that point. They turn the keys back over to him. So Darnell Mooney, if he continues to see the target share that he's been seeing, or if some, for some reason, Allen Robinson gets hurt, he is someone that you could feasibly end up playing as a flex play a wide receiver three in deeper leagues and he's free right now uh and if you play in some leagues where you can still have the ability to pick up players who haven't played yet you can just go at him off waivers right now before the monday night game uh if that is the league settings that your league is involved with if not obviously you have to put the two bucks into him especially if he doesn't go off on monday night and presumably let's say he has a bad game you get him for a one dollar bid a zero dollar bid as someone who has a very favorable schedule going down the stretch and almost like the donta foreman situation if you have the ability and you do need the depth or potentially someone to play play at receiver or your flex Mooney is someone who's been pretty decent frankly in terms of target share even with Allen Robinson on the field and maybe having Allen Robinson out and Mooney is the number one does not help him in any sort of way it just makes him see better coverage these are these are three really good matchups for him in the fantasy playoffs tight end injuries from week 10 we got Irv Smith not going to play in the Monday night game should be back presumably for week 12 we'll see Nick Boyle out for the season on the Ravens maybe that just means more routes and more snaps for Mark Andrews crossing your fingers if you drafted a mile because he has not been good Darnell Daniels left the game for the Cardinals with an ankle injury just a little bit of boost to Tarzan Dan Arnold Jack Doyle still has not passed concussion protocol. We'll see how he is stacking up for the rest of the week for the Colts. Zach Ertz and George Kittle obviously still on injured reserve. Pickups for the week. Uh, I have Logan Thomas at number one. He just can in a year where tight end is so horrible and guys either need to score a touchdown or they score zero points every single week, Thomas is sort of the outlier where he's good for like three for 55, four for 60, and he's going to get his you know five to eight targets per week. Alex Smith, besides J.D. McKissick, seems to enjoy targeting him and McLaurin enough. It's at least concentrated in that offense enough that Logan Thomas, you know, he's not going to break the slate for you. He's not going to win you weeks, but he's also not going to lose you weeks. He's sort of like Noah Fant is at tight end. He's just sort of a tread water tight end. He'll be like 
if he doesn't score a touchdown, he still could be a tight end one for the week at tight end 10. So that's basically good enough at this point. And then you just don't have to worry about it week after week. I got Goddard at number two, Dalton Schultz at number three, Jordan Reed at number four, who clearly is the guy over Smelly Dwelly as long as George Kittle is going to be out. And it does appear like George Kittle could be out for the rest of the season. So Jordan Reed, as long as he holds up, which is a big ask for Jordan Reed, they're on by in week 11. So coming out of week 12, everyone's going to forget about him. So you can pick up Jordan Reed, Trey Burton, Mike Gesicki, Eric Ebron, and Robert Tunyon round out the rest of the wide receiver, or sorry, tight end rankings. Quarterbacks, we have a lot of injuries this week. No word yet on whether... Gardner Minshew is going to come back. Andy Dalton should return. Jimmy Garoppolo is still on injured reserve, and he'll likely still be on injured reserve coming out of the bye week. Sam Darnold out for week 11. Joe Flacco starting again. Matt Stafford's thumb x-rays came back. They were negative. Looks like he's good to go for week 11. Kyle Allen, I doubt we're going to see him for some time. X-rays came back negative on Teddy Bridgewater. So all you XFL fans out there, no Walker this week. It does appear like, well, maybe you'll get him, but it does appear like Teddy Bridgewater's knee is going to be fine for week 11. Drew Locke popped up with ribs uh, ribs injury after the game. He is now in serious doubt for week 11, so keep your eye out on him. That severely impacts all of the receivers and even running game of the Broncos. Not that Drew Locke is any great shakes, but just imagine who's playing behind him. Unless they're playing the Jets, like we saw earlier this year, not going to be an enviable situation. Uh, Drew Brees is the big one, though. Uh, he has fractured ribs. He has a punctured lung. I don't know when we're going to see Drew Brees again, which means it's Jameis time in New Orleans. Jameis is the number one pickup of the week. Uh, I'm curious. He didn't look good coming in for Drew Brees. I assume it's Jameis, not Taysom Hill. But uh, against Atlanta this week, a defense that he's very familiar with, an in-division game you know, going from Tampa to New Orleans, I think a week of practice for Jameis with the number ones could turn out to be pretty good. Like all the complaints that we've had all year about them not throwing the ball down the field, he's going to throw the ball down the field. He might throw it to the other team, but at the same time, uh, hopefully this can get Michael Thomas going again. Maybe this is good for Emmanuel Sanders. Maybe it's good for Jared Cook. Just adds a different look to this offense. Hopefully they don't play Taysom Hill. I just want to see what Jameis can do in this offense. So he's the number one pickup of the week in a good matchup for week 11 against Atlanta at home too. Kirk Cousins at home against Dallas is number two. Alex Smith, he of almost 400 yards, uh, is at home against Cincinnati this week. A good matchup. Cam Newton at Houston. Houston and Philip Rivers at home against Green Bay. Green Bay is a team that you can run on, but if they pile up a bunch of points against Indy's defense, maybe they have to go to the passing game and then Philip Rivers can get going a little bit. I don't love it. It's not a great streaming week for quarterback, but Jameis is a guy that you go out and get. Defenses for the week. Uh, actually, before we get into defenses, uh, the, just of anyone you can kind of go pick up right now, obviously Jameis is the number one, but if you're looking forward to the fantasy playoffs and you're still streaming, people are pretty fed up with Carson Wentz. Completely understand that. But he does get the Saints at Arizona at Dallas, weeks 14, 15, and 16. Uh, that's a situation you can gamble on, and he's someone who's dropped below the 60% threshold in a lot of leagues, 12-team, even 14-team leagues. People are fed up with Carson Wentz that if he does keep his job at this point and Philly is still in it, he does have three very positive matchups through the fantasy playoffs. If you got the stomach for it, 
prefer Jameis to go pick up now and maybe he ends up playing the rest of the season with a better offense but at the same time Philly continues to get healthier and healthier we'll see what ends up happening with them defenses to look forward to for the week Miami at Denver especially with Locke banged up uh, whether it's Locke or whether it's the backup it's still an enviable situation for a defense that has been pounding the fantasy points the past few weeks Miami at Denver Washington at home against Joe Burrow in Cincinnati just the sack rate should be very high in that game Chargers at home against Joe Flacco like that one maybe Bosa will be back too even better Cleveland at home against Philly the Rams at Tampa Bay Uh, we've seen Brady struggle with teams that can get a lot of pressure on him and we know that the Rams can get a lot of pressure plus when we get jump forward to the fantasy playoffs just because of the matchups that the Rams have had the past two weeks they were dropped in a lot of situations I like them against Seattle and their bad offensive line last week but still they're only around like 23 percent owned Uh, savvy fantasy owners will probably have stashed the Rams but if they're still available they are a good defense for this week and in the fantasy playoffs as well uh, i don't hate them against the bucks here uh, i'd say the bucks against the rams but the bucks are very clearly already owned uh, like 95 percent owned so you can't go pick them up arizona at seattle just the sack base uh, for russell wilson is very high minnesota against dallas and philadelphia against cleveland going forward to the fantasy playoffs looking for defenses to pick up cleveland has the best slate baltimore in week 14 that one is worrisome although the ravens have looked completely out of sorts at the giants week 15 and then here's the fun one at the jets week 16 so cleveland widely available a good pickup this week to play against philadelphia and weeks 15 and 16 that's a stash defense if you want to go do it the niners presuming they get a little bit healthier here maybe they don't want to bring their guys back but we'll see where they are coming out of their bye week Washington at Dallas at Arizona. Uh, If they can get their pressure rate back up, even against Arizona, that is not a terrible matchup. We know that Kyler will turn the ball over. The Rams, New England, the Jets, and Seattle through the fantasy playoffs, and Arizona at at the Giants, at home against Philly, at home against San Francisco. And they will be dropped en masse uh, if they are not already owned because no one wants to play them against Seattle in Week 11. Uh, It's an opportunity to go stash some defenses on your bench. This is the time of year that if you've already secured your playoff spot, you need to start thinking about these things right now and maybe you get bounced in week 14 it doesn't make a difference but you have to assume that you're playing to win the championship and the best way to do that is not only make preparations for each of these weeks if you have the bench space but you also take away the ability of your opponents to go get these guys against you too and you can go get them all for free right now thus retaining either your waiver priority or your fab budget that you can then use if someone good pops up in those weeks and really box out the entire field and everyone who's left in the fantasy playoffs as well Twenty twenty or twenty twenty one RSM Classic first look field preview and opening odds plus a deep dive into the stats at least a first look at the stats I haven't looked at the well, I've looked at the field I've looked at the betting odds but I haven't dug into the stats whatsoever yet so some early leans all the full DraftKings show up on Wednesday afternoon plus some bets breaking down the entire field with my guests once we really do a deep dive into it but I like to look at everything that's going on right off the hop if you've missed the Masters recap show that is up on mayo media network right now the youtube page if you have not subscribed to the mayo media network youtube page like let's say you're an audio listener 
and you don't do the YouTubes, I bet you you have a Gmail account. Please go subscribe. Help out the channel. Help me out. Help out Fantasy National. The more we can do this, the better off we're going to be doing. And again, FantasyNational.com. Two events left this year. RSM and then the OHL, Mayakoba. I guess it's just the Mayakoba Classic. Now that's in two weeks' time. FantasyNational.com slash Mayo is how you get your discount off that. I'll be using Fantasy National for my deep dive and custom modeling and researching the stats on today's show for the screen share if you are listening to that audio version. And again, if you're listening to the audio version, rate and review the podcast, five stars. And if you're watching the video, smash the like button and give me your early leans or early thoughts on the RSM Classic uh, so far. I I think it's pretty straightforward uh, as we kind of dive into this talking about the course it's two courses this week uh you have the sea they're the seaside courses but you have the seaside and the or sorry it's sea island seaside sea island plantation so the first two days the field of 156 this is a full fucking field top 65 and ties end up making the cut uh so seaside you get one round plus both rounds on the weekend that has shot tracker and shot links you'll be able to go through the app and update yourself all the way through that the plantation course historically has not had had shot link data i wouldn't expect them to upgrade it this time around so here's what we're doing the seaside course is a par 70 it's uh just over 7,000 yards bermuda grass the plantation course is a par 72 again the field only plays this one once uh that is also just over 7,000 yards on bermuda grass greens uh the key stats that i have listed for the week uh strokes gained approach par fours gained from 400 to 450 yards fairways gained and opportunities gained the big thing with this is we're getting a much stronger field at the rsm than we've ever seen and we're ever going to see again being the week after the masters a lot of the international players who came over from europe to play at augusta are basically like yeah why, why get on a flight when i can take like a one hour drive over to sea island and go play another pga tour event so we have some very good names at the very top of this field like web plays this every year anyway a lot of like the local georgia guys end up playing but you have like hatton and Justin Rose and Tommy Fleetwood. Names you would never really expect to see in this field. Shane Lowry is another one who's playing this week, who I do like initially, uh, by the way, as an early lean. Uh, Corey Connors ended up playing. The funny thing about this is, the biggest comp course you're going to find to see Island is Heritage, uh, which is usually the week after the Masters in April. It's just funny how this broke down that Sea Island, the biggest comp course that you're going to find, is the one that's usually after the Masters. I don't know if any of this really ends up applying, but historically... Guys that play in the Masters and make the cut and then go play the Heritage generally don't have a great time at the Heritage. They don't have great results in terms of wins. Uh, Kadira actually ended up making the cut at the Masters and winning at Sea Island. Other than that, it's all missed cuts from the Masters or guys that didn't play in the Masters. Generally, because that field at the Heritage the week after the Masters is relatively weak. Uh, Stronger than the usual RSM field, but again, now we're seeing an uptick with a lot of guys who did play well at the Masters, uh, well-ish at the Masters, ending up in this field this time around. So I'm curious to see how that ends up going. Let's jump over to Fantasy National, though, and jump into the stats for the course this week and just kind of take a look at everything. You'll see right away, uh, if we just sort by strokes gain. Actually, why don't we look at the odds? Because that'll just tell us a better sense uh, of who's in. This is from DKPlaybook.com, or DKSportsbook.com, sorry. 
Webb Simpson, Tyrrell Hatton are the two favorites, eight and a half to one, 16 to one. I prefer Hatton over Webb this week. Webb has come second and third here the past two years, lost in the play- playoff to Tyler Duncan a year ago. And then after that, the second tier of players, M. Fleetwood, Harris English, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Russell Henley, Corey Connors, Jason Day, Jason Kokrak, Shane Lowry, Louis Eustazen, Ian Poulter, all those guys are between 20 and 40 to one. And then it's into, you know, sort of the, Usual guys who are, you know, we think of like Henley and Connors, I guess, are elevated right now uh, just because of their recent form and recent play. But they would usually be in this range of like the 40 to 60 guys. Poulter, Harmon, Kisner, Munoz, Joaquin Neiman, who has returned this time around. Uh, Justin Rose, Zach Johnson, Sam Burns, Dylan Fratelli. Uh, Mackenzie Hughes and Doc Redner are both 70 to one at DK Sportsbook right now. Uh, I do not have access to DK Sportsbook living in Canada. Uh, so I've actually bet Mackenzie Hughes and Doc Redman at 60 and 66 to one. I like both those guys this week. It's funny. We've been seeing Doc Redman coming like 20, 22 to one, 25 to one over recent events. Yeah, he's around the green game sucks, but this is a nice deep number on him that I can actually back this. I feel good about it. You know how much I hate Mackenzie Hughes. However, this is still the best year that he's ever had. And now you're getting him at pretty deep odds that of course he's already won with having a week off that you know at 70 to 1 maybe I can get some good putt luck on my side you know I won't be pulling my hair out when he starts making 70 foot putts I can actually use a few of those this week so I do like him here uh just initially this week as well uh, Shane Lowry was my earlier initial lean 35 to 1 I think is a pretty good number on him with the way that he's been playing has generally plays better on Bermuda generally has played well at Heritage in the past we'll kind of run the deep dive on this so if we just look past three months I have it set to past 50 rounds, but again, over the past three months, no one actually has full 50 rounds. So Russell Henley, uh, Webb Simpson, Jason Kokrak, Harris English, and Peter Malnati actually rate out the best in this field, top five in strokes game total. If we look at T to green, it's Henley, Keegan Bradley, Harold Varner III, Corey Connors, and Camillo Vigegas rate out the best. If you want to add in the Corn Ferry, we actually have all of the Corn Ferry stats and results loaded in, but you need to click on Corn Ferry in order to find those because most people don't want to see those ones mixed in with the overall PGA stats. Uh, some other unique names here over the past three months, T to green-wise at least, who kind of pop up. Laird, obviously, Burns. Uh, Neiman's going to be back from his positive COVID-19 test, which kept him out of the Masters. Unfortunate for him. Had a really good heritage this year, too. Someone to watch out for. Spawn uh, has played well this course in the past obviously the tee to green game is trending up the gim reaper 12th tee to green uh coming in then you got your you know your regulars english and hatton and munoz guys you would expect to be up there but johnny uh even in eight rounds is inside the top 20 uh, per round on a tee to green basis aaron wise is up there who's been playing a lot better i, I didn't even mention emiliano grio because i just can't do that to myself and then you have your other like uh, russell knox is 22nd piercy is 26th shane lowry is 25th james ends up coming in i sound more like chewbacca coming in at 24th but i'm gonna run the modeling i have for the heritage actually if that's gonna be my biggest crossover let's go to heritage i have it worked in right now uh this has worked out for me Uh, heritage is where i had my biggest score ever so i've had this one relatively unchanged for a really long time uh so it involves birdies or better gain 10 percent ball striking five percent par fives five percent i have greens and regulation in there at zero percent just to get a idea of who's hitting a lot of greens and regulations right now i thought it was good justin ray actually put out a tweet uh, actually, it was Brandel Chambly put out a tweet uh, taking the stats that Justin Ray calculated for the strokes gained uh, 
metrics from the masters and then some like old fuddy-duddy guy uh, replied to that uh, who's like a golf writer he's like i prefer greens and regulation gained over strokes gained approach uh, and frankly like yeah greens and regulation is a nice telling stat but i like to line it up with strokes gained approach that's why i have them back to back i have strokes gained approach weighted at 25 percent this week uh, shorter hitters strokes gained approach putting that's what you're looking for that's like the the core basis of what you want this week but greens and regulation isn't a predictive stat because the greens and regulation percentage, let's say at Kapalua versus somewhere like Pebble Beach, uh, is going to be widely different. One, you have some of the hugest, most massive greens where everyone's going to hit greens and regulation versus some of the smallest greens where not a lot of people are going to hit greens and regulation. Okay, 75% or 70% greens and regulation rate at Pebble Beach is much better than like an 85% at Kapalua. It doesn't really tell you anything. It just, you would have to get greens and regulations gained, which we do have, which is a better metric than just overall greens and regulation because it does provide some context. But generally speaking, greens and regulation does not contextualize the courses that the players are actually playing where strokes gained approach does and weights that against the field. And sometimes, like, just for example, at the Masters, when we look at it, um, we're thinking of... Let's say there's a few holes, like someone like Justin Thomas, for example, and someone like Chad Campbell historically was really good at greens and regulation. So let's use these two straw men as, as an example for these two stats. Are you better off being Justin Thomas, who generally leads in strokes gained approach, or is one of the most elite iron players in the world, uh, with the softer conditions that we saw at the Masters, that he could take flight at a lot of these pins, and he was more aggressive going after it. So he left himself with a lot of short putts, a lot of actual birdie-making opportunities, and if he missed, he was like two or three feet off the green. He has one of the best short games around, because the ball, the runoff areas weren't so fast that you could get your ball to plug, you get it up and down, no problem. Like, that's the kind of player that I would actually want in my lineup, than a guy whose leave is like 60 feet away on the wrong part of the green, and, but he gets credit for a green regulation where the other guy does not. Like, which player would you actually rather have in terms of someone who's going to generate birdie opportunities and end up with a better score? It's a guy taking aim at the pins in the softer conditions who can get the ball up and down from a foot off the green rather than a guy who needs a lag putt from 60 feet. Like, A, he's not making the 60-foot putt. That's rarely ever going to happen, I guess, unless you're Mackenzie Hughes. But Justin Thomas could chip in from 12 feet feet away even though he's only two feet off the green so that is what greens and regulation does not contextualize in which strokes gained approach well not a perfect stat by any means does a better job of doing that's why i like opportunities gained from fantasy national it gives you greens and regulation and fringe and regulation inside 15 feet which is like a legitimate birdie opportunity those actually mean something you know being 94 feet away but still on the green versus 10 feet away but off the green like what does that tell you nothing you'd rather be the guy who's 10 feet away trust me uh, let's go back to the stats let's load the model in uh, just to finish off 25 percent uh, approach 10 percent t to green 10 percent around the green uh, good drives gained i at 10 percent par 375 to 205 percent stroke gains putting 10 percent you can fudge around with that but again strokes gained approach good drives and putting are really what you want this week i uh, basically the same as the heritage we've just seen so many of the same guys and maybe that gets altered this week uh solely because we are seeing a stronger field this time around that maybe you can get a bomber or so that gets in there so i have it set to the past three months uh all rounds past three months who rates out the best in terms of the modeling we have Russell Henley, Jason Kokrak, Tyrrell Hatton, Webb Simpson, Zach Johnson, one, two, three, four, five, followed by Harold Varner, the Gim Reaper. Has Gim really been playing that well? Jesus. Let's see here. What has Gim actually been up to? 
14th, 23rd, miscut, 14th. All right, he's having a pretty good swing season. Three top 25s and four starts so far. Missed the cut at the Wyndham, which is actually another. The overall crossover courses, you got like Sony, Wyndham. Um, yeah, Sony and Wyndham are probably the main two after Heritage, I think. He came 65th here last year. Didn't play at the Heritage this time around. Did he play Heritage last year? Wyndham 20th in 2018. 65th. Yeah. Gim, looking up. Trending upwards. Been really good in approach and ball striking, too. So maybe he's someone to actually give a look to. What are his odds this week? Gim Reaper, 150 to 1. You can probably find him even further down the list than that. It's funny that Nick Taylor is exactly the same price, and he actually made the cut at the Masters this time around. Harmon comes in number 10. This reeks of a Brian Harmon course. Uh, Denny McCarthy will definitely be live this week where driving isn't as big of a factor. Uh, you know, Sungjae on a short, just like Webb, Sungjae short, par 70, coming off a really good week. He's going to be such uber chalk um, but i do actually think there is a toll that goes into playing deep into the masters then you go to this event the next week it's like yeah you know do i i mean i want to win the rsm that's why i'm here but i also well i was trying to win the masters didn't expect to come second and have that sort of pressure cooker on especially because it was his first Masters. suit. maybe all of this stuff is completely narrative driven and makes no sense it's just it's something that i tend to believe in um, although you know how good my picks are not great so that's something that you don't necessarily need to buy into if you don't want to. Let's just take a look at the strokes gained approach leaders. Russell Henley, Martin Laird, Keegan Bradley, Chez Reeve, Emiliano Grillo, Camillo Vizegas. Only 14 rounds for Vizegas. I keep getting on Vizegas because he's so cheap every single week. Then he burns me. So he's been miscut 55th, miscut 23rd, miscut. So at least he's due to make the cut based on this recent trend. The strokes gained approach numbers are just really good. But look at this putting. Minus 8.5, minus 4.2, minus 5.7. Not great, Camillo. I would prefer you make some putts. Uh, But it doesn't seem like you can do that. At least on Bermuda, historically, he's been better. But... Again, uh, between Gim and Vizegas, they're setting up to be two. I don't have the DraftKings pricing as of yet. It's not been released. Uh, you know, they're probably a bit lax, as most people are coming off of the Masters. Duncan's strokes gained approach are still pretty high. Um, we can just see just who's been the worst, uh, the best. Uh, man, Jason Kokrak has been the best player in the field in strokes gained putting over the last three months. That is absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, wouldn't expect that to continue. The, the other guys up there you would expect, Todd, Malnati, Poston, what are Poston's odds? Poston was such a popular guy in my chat last week. 100 to 1. He's won Wyndham, played really well at Heritage in the past. This would actually be a week to go look at JT Poston if you were going to do it. Uh, the Masters, probably not the best spot. And he had been playing well going in. That's why he was popular at the Masters. This is a bit more his speed, I would think, uh, if we're looking at it. I do want to just shrink down the sample size to last eight rounds just to see who just overall in terms of the modeling this is how carlos ortiz ended up popping up uh, malibu's most wanted michael ruvalo was on him that week and this is how he did he just looked at past eight rounds uh, and who popped out the best in the recent form and it spit out ortiz and ortiz was 100 to 1 and that's who he ended up going with and it worked uh, so austin cook actually is the best player here over the past eight rounds he won at this event we bet him at this event. this is a good turn the simulator has been really good at this tournament it won't be uploaded until the DraftKings pricing is out but that's really interesting to note so the 
top 10 over the past eight rounds, Austin Cook, Sebastian Munoz, Peter Malnati, The Gim Reaper, Corey Connors, Seb Straka, Scott Piercy, Joaquin Neiman, Russell Henley, and Webb Simpson. Other guys, uh, Kazire rates out really highly. He's 13th. I'm just thinking about back-end guys. Lowry continues to be pretty good. The Gucci Man uh, is any, you know, any time that strokes gained approach really factors in. Neesmith and Taylor Gooch are 19 and 20. Uh, Aaron Wise, number 17. JJ Spawn, number 16. So it's not that big of a deviation from who was all, except for a few of the big names that stick out. Seb Straka, sixth over the past eight rounds as well. And to the person that pointed out to me that I keep calling uh, the inventor of basketball, James Naismith's grandson, Matthew Naismith. Uh, Yes, I know that it is spelled and pronounced differently. It is a fucking joke, and I hate you for life for actually having the audacity to point that out. What is wrong with you? Do you not like, what's it like being you in real life? that you would feel the need to go point that out, not knowing that it's a joke. Now, maybe there's something wrong with you, and if it's so, I apologize. If not, give your fucking head a shake, pal. What else do we got here? Russell Knox, Kevin. Kevin Kisner's always interesting. He's won this event before. This is the site of his first win. We know that he's played. Sawgrass would actually be on a higher end, uh, a decent place to go look at as well. Kisner's played well there. He's played well at Heritage, uh, maybe even Colonial. Basically, any course that Kevin Kisner plays well is probably a good comp course uh, for this venue overall ball striking wise past eight rounds anyone neiman henley i can't can't wrap my mind about who's going to be the biggest chalk this week i would say early lean sung jay because he'll probably be third in pricing i don't know if people are going to buy into fleetwood here russell henley if he's in the 9k area him and connors are going to be super popular uh this would be a week though where i think that with 156 players guys exhausted from the masters it might be a decent week to fade the chalk overall and kind of build a lineup that looks like i don't know like lowry poulter kisner neiman I don't know what to make a rose here, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, Pan will end up being popular uh, after a really good, and he's won Heritage before, played Wyndham really well. He's actually a better correlation for this course than he ever would have been at Augusta. You know, Redmond, I could see a balanced lineup doing really well. The year that I won at the Heritage, I didn't have anyone in the 10K range. I faded all those guys, and I think three of the four ended up missing the cut. Uh, but that's back when you could jam in Bryson and Xander as 9K guys and Cantley. I think we're, all three of them were in the lineup and all three of them were not above $10,000. At tournaments like this where you just have more variance in terms of cut line made, two separate courses, one might get hit worse than the other in terms of when it's a coastal. Oh yeah, coastal course, Graham McDowell. Now he played last week. Where's my, is my guy Kadira playing? He is playing 750 to one. You know Kadira is getting a bet from me. As a corollary guy, I've been playing. I feel like he's been playing a little bit better too. I think he's made some cuts recently, which is just shocking for him. And we'll take a look at McDowell as well. Uh, just another coastal guy, even Coocher. Like maybe he can capture magic in a bottle here. He missed the cut at the Masters. Yeah, Kadira kind of sucks, but you know, 750 to one has made two cuts in a row. I've made worse bets, so I could probably get in on him. McDowell, uh, it's been a lot of putting. Although, again, it's just he kind of pops up at this type of course. How did he play at Heritage earlier this year? Yeah, I missed the cut there, too. Maybe the time has passed for old Graham McDowell, but 751 on Kadira is not bad. What about Kucher? Missed the cut at the Masters. He's just been playing so poorly. You'd think this would be a course where he would play really well. The numbers would not point in that direction at all. Uh, maybe I'll have to do a deeper dive on this, but I'll get into that 
on Wednesday. This is, this is only a first look as we go through everything. Again, if you want to do your own deep dive, fantasynational.com slash mayo. You get the weekly. It's eight bucks. If you use slash mayo at the end of it, you're probably going to bet and or enter more DraftKings lineups than that. So I'd recommend that you get Fantasy National to give yourself an educated guess on everything. After you do your research, you can use your own custom modeling. We'll have the simulator up. So my early leans, I've already bet Hughes and Redmond, like I said, uh, from the top end, Lowry at 35 strikes me as a pretty good number, but I, I don't know if I really want to go near the top. Kadira, maybe Poston. I'm just writing these down so I don't forget. Like when I said on the show that I was going to bet Dylan Fratelli first round leader, then forgot and ended up betting EVR instead, who withdrew. Makes me feel like a moron. So yeah, I want to write these down so I don't forget. Kadira, Poston. I like those two. So I'll probably go... And then you know, Hat Hatton or Im do really line up really well. I, I kind of like that Hatton actually missed the cut. He was really good at Heritage earlier in this year. Neiman was also very good at Heritage earlier this year, and he's coming on a deep number. I don't know how COVID-19 actually affected him, uh, but again, you're getting a pretty elite player at deeper prices than you would probably normally see in a field like this, or maybe it's just a time to go to Russell Henley. He's been playing so well that maybe you can go through with it. But yeah, yeah, I'll have my cheat sheet later on in the week. Austin Cook was the other one I wanted to look at. I didn't even see what his odds were. I'll look those up right now. Austin Cook, 100 to 1. It just might be a week to take some flyers from deep down the list. You know, you're gassed out from doing hard research at the Masters. Give yourself some long shots and hope one of the big faves doesn't end up winning. I mean, we saw Tyler Duncan end up winning last week. When Mackenzie Hughes won this, he was 200 to 1. We've seen some deep guys end up winning at the RSM Classic in the past. So why not again this year? It'd be a nice way. I don't think I've hit a winner since the recent. Uh, the new swing season has actually started. Although Cam Smith actually paid really nicely on the each way. He paid 19 to one uh, to get his top eight. So, you know, that covers most of the week for me, uh, despite my like, terrible to make the cut parlay bets and all that fun stuff. But the Masters is a fun time for betting. We're back to more of the serious stuff here. Anyway, I'm Pat Mayo. Of course, you can follow me at the PME. I uh, hope you have a good week in golf and football. If you want to play in a listener's league, I only have NFL on the go this week. So go check that out in the description of the podcast or one of the NFL videos. Smash a like on the way and give me your early lean for the week. All right. Sub to Mayo Media Network, too. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.